Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. We are continuing our series in Scary Truths, and uh, I personally have been, I always am delighted to hear people tell me that they listen to us online um it always gives me like a like hope you know like oh like we are <laughs> we, we are actually reaching other people um but i want to uh again thank you for being a part of church today uh we have been going through this series scary truths it's been a really uh interesting series especially as we go through uh, get, as we get closer to Halloween, and like I've mentioned before in church, Halloween is so funny in our Christian world because there's either people that uh, love to celebrate it, don't see it as any different, and then there's people in churches that um, see it as the most like the devil's holiday. <laughs> and um, I, like I've said before, as we get closer, Halloween, the way that we know it now, is actually originally the Christian version of Halloween. Um, but now we've made it even more Christian. So instead of trick-or-treating, we go trunk-or-treating. And it's, uh, I just always find it hilarious. But y'all didn't come here today to talk about Halloween. Y'all came here to talk about some scary truths. Am I right? And so as we get started today, today we are going to be talking about regrets. Regrets. And regrets are a really funny topic because... The, the couple times I've mentioned this title uh, this week, that what people initially tell me is like, oh, no regrets in life, no regrets. And I'm like, oh, wait till Sunday. <laughs> We're going to talk about regrets a lot more in depth. And I want us to understand as a preface that regrets are normal to life. Regrets are normal to life. And we're going to really break down uh, some different ideas of regrets, and, as well as how to handle our regrets, and really just how to move forward in processing them. The first thing we're going to talk about is the ghosts of our past. The ghosts of our past. I know, really spooky, eerie. The ghosts of our past. And this is where we're going to really talk about unsettled regrets. An unsettled regret will always trouble your soul until you make peace with it one of our quotes today an un an unsettled an unsettled regret will always trouble your soul until you make peace with it sometimes it'll take months most of the time it'll take years because it's initially easy to bury a regret to hide it to run from it but even if it takes years that unsettled regret will always trouble your soul until you make peace with it. I want to give a comparison by starting out with the life of Judas. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 through 5, we see the end of Judas's regrets. Judas is the one that betrayed Jesus to, be, uh, to the point where Jesus was, ended up being crucified. was not Judas's intention for Jesus to actually die. But... His actions led him to extreme regrets. It says, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, 
He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? You shall see to it yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left, and he went away and hanged himself. Now, it doesn't say how much time elapsed from the moment he threw the pieces of silver to the chief priest to the point that he hanged himself. But even if he was to do it instantly, we're talking about hours and hours, maybe even a full day or two, that he was travel, uh, went, uh, went to go find a place to, to get the rope. To, he's walking everywhere. This is all this time where he's thinking about his regret. It wasn't just instantaneous to where he threw the silver and he already knew that he was going to commit suicide. That thought of suicide was those regrets deep burdened in his soul spinning and spinning and spinning in his head as he was walking, as he was traveling, as he was trying to settle his inner demons, as he's trying to settle all these things going on in his heart to the point where it troubled him so much to, to the point of him committing suicide. Like I said at the beginning, we all have past regrets, but the difference in those who have peace about it today are the ones that have made peace with the past. Addressing our own mistakes, that's what most regrets are, are our own mistakes, things that we wish we could have done differently, especially if it means facing consequences, admitting wrong, or offering an apology to be able to face those things, it can be very intimidating. So much so that we as people often ignore it altogether as we try to move on without ever looking back. We just try to delete it from our memory. And while we can try to run away from what was swept under the rug, it will still come to bother your conscience from time to time. It may even turn into a ghost that haunts you with deep feelings of regret. And I, I know that everyone's regrets look different. And for a lot of us, the regrets that we are thinking about right now are the regrets of our youth. Thinking about the things that we did when we were young years ago that, that have even put us in the places that we are now. It's been trajectory to where we're at in life and we still are seeing some of the fruit of the decisions that we've made in our youth. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Those are some of our biggest regrets. Some of us are still troubled with the regrets that we've had just a couple months ago. And, and we're thinking, I knew better. I, sh I knew that I shouldn't have, but I didn't have self-control. And those regrets are still troubling us. And the thought of, of really making peace with it is intimidating because it requires us to, like I said, either apologize, admit that we were wrong. It's one thing when you're a kid and you admit that you're wrong. I mean, you're a kid. It's like it doesn't really have that much weight. You're like, okay, well, I'm like 12 years old. What do you expect? But the older you get, the harder it is to apologize. Anyone that's ever had a teenager in their life, that if they've rid, uh, raised kids, if they've had teenagers... Being an adult apologizing to a teenager is the most humiliating experience of your life. I, 
I, I remember when we when we had teenagers in our home, every time that I felt like I needed to apologize, it was like the most excruciating pain. It's like, no, I I don't want to because I don't want them to think that they were right either. I was wrong, but they were also in the wrong. And see, that's why we avoid regret sometimes because we can only control the way that we feel, but when we don't uh, anticipate or feel like the other person has any regrets, we hold off out of, of wanting to feel justified. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And all of those really just boil down to excuses for us to not humble ourselves and reconcile the mistakes of our past. Y'all dig what I'm saying? No matter what it is, afraid of consequences, or maybe there's some real consequences in your life that you don't want to face. Whatever it is, we excuse ourselves and we create. We're very creative and imaginative in the ways that we justify ourselves in not facing those regrets. But no matter what, it's going to haunt us. And for some people, it can be so much more tragic, that haunting, that torment of regret than others. But look at the, the comparison to somebody else. Did you know that Peter also betrayed Jesus? Judas betrayed Jesus, and so did Peter. And I want to read this excerpt in Matthew chapter 26, verse 73 through 75. It, it says, A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, You really are one of them as well, since even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to swear, to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the statement that Jesus had made, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In this moment is when Jesus was about to uh, be condemned to die. Peter followed at a distance, and they started. Uh, the people he was around started accusing him, weren't you one of his disciples? Your accent gives you away. And it got to the point where he denied him three times, and this last time he starts cussing and yelling and saying, I don't know what you're talking about, y'all are crazy. And he, you know, throwing F-bombs, whatever, you know, a curse is, uh, cussing looks like in Hebrew. He was doing it. He was doing it probably in Greek, too. He didn't care. And he was just trying to expel all connection between him and Jesus. And he denied Jesus in that moment. And, and in that moment was also when they were calling forth witnesses to condemn Jesus. And so Peter very much well could have been a witness to plead his innocence. So in this moment, we see Peter make the same kind of betrayal, a, a similar kind of betrayal to Jesus that Judas makes. But the difference between Peter and Judas is Judas never faces his regret. It torments him and bothers him, but he never goes to the person. He never goes to Jesus to face his regret. Peter, on the other hand, we can look in John chapter 21, verse 7, when they first heard the news that Jesus may have been resurrected, that he was alive, it says, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Uh, and, and so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. This is a moment where uh, they were out on the boat. Jesus is resurrected. John, and Peter, what, John, Jesus was at the shore, calls to the disciples, and John said, It's the Lord. And while all the disciples stayed in the boat because they were a hundred yards away from shore, Peter threw himself into the water in desperation to go and face his regrets. 
He wanted a chance to talk to Jesus again. Right before this, we see that him and John ran to the tomb. And, and Peter ran, uh, he was, it says that Peter ran, uh, Peter ran so passionately to the tomb. And when he got there, he didn't even think of, about what was appropriate, what was polite. It, John stood at the entrance of the tomb. Peter went right in without even thinking because he was so burdened and ready to face his regrets to talk to Jesus again. And when he finally talks to Jesus, he faces his regrets. And it says in a couple verses later, now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to, said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, uh, representing the third time that G Peter uh, denied Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. In this part where he says, you know all things, Lord. What he's really telling Jesus is saying, you know everything that's burdened my heart. You know how much I regret. You know everything that I'm feeling. You know that I love you. I'm, I'm hurting right now because I wanted to see you. And it's this, this way of reconciliation, this back and forth dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And he was able to finally uh, face his regrets. And I think what's most important about this verse is that Jesus is the one that really helps Peter to finish the, this, what he started. Peter jumped into the water, but once he saw Jesus, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how, you, you ever wanted to go and apologize to someone and you don't really know how to start? You ever been in a fight with someone and you're just sitting there all silent and you want so badly to say something, but you don't know how to get it started? Oh, some married couples are laughing. <laughs> you don't know how to get started and so you just wait there in silence. Maybe you go the whole car ride and it was a 20-minute car ride, and right before getting there, the other person finally says, so you're really not going to say anything? <laughs> but the whole time, I were thinking, I want to I reconcile things. I want to make things right. But it's just so hard to start the conversation. It's so hard to say it. That's, I believe, why Jesus begins this dialogue. He helps just Peter get the words out. He helps him to just process it the way he needed to. It's really the only way to lay to rest these extreme feelings of regret is by facing it. The difference between Judas and Peter, Judas ran from his regrets while Peter ran to his regrets. He ran to the tomb to make peace with his regrets. He jumped out of the boat and swam a hundred yards to make peace with his mistakes. And it is what made the difference in him being able to find peace in his life again. He truly was able to find restoration in his relationship with God. So this, the epitome of this point is that instead of us trying to hide from regrets, of us putting labels on our life, saying, no regrets, I'm never looking back. Well, I believe really that's a facade that we created so that we never have to face our regrets again. Every human being have regrets in some way. And it, it is important for us to process and think about our lives and critically think about why are we feeling regrets? What is it really that is happening in my heart instead of trying to hide from it altogether? Y'all dig what I'm saying? 
That's why decades from now, when we're older, that's the difference between people who are trying to reconnect with family members after decades of not talking to one another because they're finally ready to face their regrets. Why would we waste so much time when we can address it now? Our next point is, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. And we're gonna be talking about future regrets. Our quote today is, right, right when you think you have it all figured out, you will learn that you don't. Right when you think that you have it all figured out, you will learn that you don't. The older we get, the farther away the mistakes of our youth become. And we begin to realize how far we've come and how much we know about life now that we're older. But it's when we think that we've learned it all that we often become cocky and careless as, as we do things that we've never done before and we give birth to new mistakes and regrets. When I, uh, as I'm, uh, you know, getting older, I think when I first started thinking about regrets, I just thought about when I was a teenager, when I was really young, and I, I made plenty of regrets to like last a lifetime. And a lot of us in our youth have made those kinds of mistakes, those kind of regrets. And we, we joke about it when we're older, like, oh, I was so dumb as a kid. <laughs> I made, I, I should have never done those things, but you know, I've learned a lot. And there's a point where we just think that mistakes and regrets are a thing of our youth. But the older we get, the new kind of regrets that we face. I want to give an example of David, King David. David was known as a man being after God's own heart. It, he, was, he was so uh, favored by God because no matter... It's not that he didn't make mistakes or that he didn't have regrets, but that he was passionate about truly trying to pursue God in his life, even through his mistakes, even through his regrets. And I want us to kind of just look at his life as an example of regrets that we face over time. When he was really young, he aligned himself with King Saul, a completely toxic leader that he followed blindly to the point where he had needless bloodshed. There's a point where Saul uh, told him to kill 100 Philistines because he was actually expecting David to die. And David killed 200 Philistines. He, he, was, he was just following Saul's commands passionately but blindly, even though Saul was a completely toxic leader. See, that's a mistake of our youth. Do you ever think have a horrible job? Or maybe right when you leave your parents' house, you think to yourself, I'm never going to be like them. At a workplace, you think, I'm never going to go to a job like that again. I'm never going to let anyone talk to me like that again. See, he experienced in his youth toxic leadership like a lot of us have faced. And the regrets that he would have is that he followed so blindly because of his youth. He didn't, truly, he didn't know any better. He, he was following what older people taught. That's what we're taught is just obey authority, uh, listen to what adults tell you. And he just blindly followed that. As we get older, we start learning and realizing. And his regret at this stage was more so out of naivety. He was naive and gullible and willing to listen to people he shouldn't have. That's a regret. Even though it was the toxic leader, is a toxic person that influenced him, it's a regret. That's a real, raw regret. 
that as I get older, I don't want to listen to someone like that again. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Some other regrets he had. He put trust in Joab, which was his cousin, to be a military commander to the point to where because of his abundance of trust in him, it led to the Israel's commander army that was helping David to be murdered needlessly. You ever put trust in someone that betrayed that trust, that took advantage of you? See, that is something that not is like a mistake, like, oh, I added wrong, or I put the wrong oil in my car. It, that's not that kind of mistake. It's a mistake that I shouldn't have trusted them so much to where I gave them so much power over my life that it affected me in a negative way. See, that's a regret that we can learn from. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Some more regrets. As David got older, he's becoming a lot more handsome. He's, he's getting power. He's becoming, uh, people are starting to catch notice of him. He's king. And he ends up having an affair with Bathsheba. Not only does he have an affair with Bathsheba, but he used his abusive power to have an affair with her, to commit adultery, and then secretly murdered her husband once she, he found out she was pregnant because he didn't want everybody to know about his huge mistake. And what's funny about this part is we've talked about David before. When, if you were to look up uh, mistakes of David on, on Google, uh, it's funny because uh, I did just out of curiosity of what, what other people would say when studying for this. And it, lab it labels David's affair with Bathsheba, but it doesn't label his, <laughs> his murderous act afterwards. It's, all, it's almost like we only look at some sides of the coin, but we don't want to finish the sentence. We don't want to finish the story. David had some huge regrets, huge mistakes, to where if we were to compare our lives to him, we're doing a lot better in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of, most of us here, I would say, have not murdered anyone um, needlessly to, to cover something up, right? It, it's, <laughs> some are like, well, there's that one time, I mean... They did cut me off, though, on the road. On, on 1604. <laughs> but to know that this huge mistake, this huge regret, and as you read through David's life, he talks about these, these regrets and mistakes with agony in his heart. But yet, you, you would think that after he would come so far that he wouldn't make mistakes anymore. He wouldn't have regrets. And you'd think that this would be the last one, right? It was such a big one. Well... There's some further mistakes. As he became a father, David's passivity as a father and not really knowing how to raise his kids, all uh, dozens of them, it, it was so, his fathership was so passive to the point of negligence to a point, uh, all the way to where one of his sons ended up raping his half-sister. And David just didn't even know what to do about it. it he had no idea how to handle that kind of family issue to where he just he tried his best just to ignore it he was just, I, I don't think he was going to try to ignore it forever but he just uh, that 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 confusion and not knowing what to do made him passive to where it seemed like ignoring to all of his kids see now he's developing regrets as a father before we see regrets in his youth regrets in his in his job regrets in his his new leadership and authority now we're seeing regrets in his fatherhood being a parent he also has confusion and not knowing what to do when the, the full the full sibling the full brother of his sister that was raped killed his brother that raped her 
So now we got uh, some real Jerry Springer stuff going on, right? Okay, we never heard anything like that on, on uh, I don't even know how the camera guy would be able to follow them running around the room. I mean, that's some crazy stuff happening. And, and again, we see David almost stunned, confused, paralyzed, and not knowing what to do with his kids. We see this inner conflict with his roles as a king and a role as a father. When that very son Absalom ended up uh, rebelling and, and stealing the kingdom out from under David. David literally was on the run. And when it came to the battle that Absalom was killed and the kingship was restored to David, as a king, he should have been happy. But as a father, he was devastated. And when they brought him the news that his enemy, which was his son, was killed, instead of uh, cheering for victory, he broke down sobbing. That inner conflict of roles that we have. You know, the older we get, the more complicated our lives become, doesn't it? And the final mistake I want us to just take a moment to address in David's life is the moment where he's much older now. He's seen so many regrets and so many mistakes and he's learned so much in his life. And he's at a point where a lot of us become to where we think we have it all figured out. In fact, we're, we even become, in, uh, we start anticipating mistakes. We start anticipating things in life and we get cocky. We get overly confident. And this is when David takes a census in the land of Israel. And it, in scripture, it says that David took a census of all the people of Israel. And almost right after, uh, when he's doing the census, Joab, his army commander, begs him not to do it. And almost directly after that, we see uh, that God is going to punish David because of the census that he took. And it's almost like an obscure scene in scripture because we're like, well, we get census, you know, every couple years in, in our country. What's the big deal? Well, one, in Exodus, there's, there's actually strict commandment about a census that whenever a census is done, it should be done when the Lord uh, commands it. And on top of that, there has to be an atonement and an offering made for every person that is accounted for. And so that's one aspect of why it was evil uh, in God's eyes for David to take the census. But when we look at past that, beyond the, the scripture, and, uh, be, beyond like the biblical context, let's look at what was really going on in David's heart. And what I believe is that David was taking a census to exact his army and to exact some taxes. Keep in mind that this is old times. Okay, this isn't where uh, you could just mail in your ballot. And you can't mail in your uh, yes, I live here, and these are everyone in my home. You, there's it was very easy for people to be born and, and for a country to grow without people being accounted for per se. And so it's been a long time since people were accounted for to an exact measure. And I believe that David wanted to exact his army. He wanted to make uh, uh, to know exactly who is going to fight. It's like a, almost like a forced draft that he was going to do just to prepare his army for. Uh, uh, he could have even been thinking of going beyond the promised land, dominating nearby countries, and start growing because he's so uh, has grown so much as a king. Could have been that he wanted to exact taxes. He wanted to grow financially and make sure everything was in order. And whatever the reasons are, 
it was wrong. And it's the reason I wanted to share that last one is because it shows that the older we get, the more prideful we become. And as we look through David's life and we see how all of his regrets and mistakes developed to the new seasons of life that he entered into as, as a human, it, it shows that the only difference between us now and our youth is that our pride has grown big enough to refuse the idea of being wrong again. Our pride has grown so much to where we refuse the idea of being wrong again like when we were younger. And so we excuse our mistakes with our intentions. I think as a parent, I've parented both babies and teenagers, and I can say confidently and uh, ashamed <laughs> that we make mistakes as parents, plenty. And especially as teenagers, uh, when you're raising teenagers, you make mistakes. And we excuse ourselves from mistakes so often with our intentions. Well, I'm just trying to do the right thing for them. I'm just trying to raise them the right way. And I feel, as I look back over the years, there's more mistakes that, I, when I critically think about things of how I could have done certain things differently, I find more mistakes and more regrets. And if we try to just ignore and, wipe, uh, and just ignore and hide from these regrets that we have. We are, all, we are never going to grow as people. We will never grow as people. And our children especially are great examples of these new, reg uh, of new regrets that come. And it comes to thinking that we're doing right, but we're doing wrong. No matter what it is, we must strive to be for a softened heart. All that I'm talking about is having a softened heart and being willing to seek reconciliation and be willing to apologize when we look back and see places that we were wrong. We must go easy on ourselves as well. We can go down a rabbit trail of mistakes and find new ones that we didn't even know were there. And we can burden ourselves at the same time with regrets. We're not perfect. We still got to go easy in ourselves. You still got to remind yourself that you are simply doing your best. You're doing your best. Forget the rest, right? But we will, uh, we are not perfect and we will continue to make new mistakes and have new regrets, but it's growing from them. That is what makes us better. I'd rather have new regrets than repeat my old ones. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so that leads us to our last point, which is, I know better. I know better. The feeling of regret is often our best teacher. The feeling of regret is often our best teacher. Let me share this verse with you in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Paul says, For though I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, now that you were made sorrowful, but that, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. He goes on to say, 
For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, and what longing, what zeal, what, what punishment of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. What Paul is saying here is, if it wasn't for the sorrow we felt and regret, we would never be pushed to change in our lives. If it wasn't something that we truly feel, then we do not have as much motivation to experience change. And the feeling of regret is the best emotion, one of the best emotions we have, because it gives a clear connection to our hearts and our minds for learning moments of personal growth. The very emotion itself helps solidify change that lasts. Have you ever had a moment of regret to where you felt it, it bothered you, and you're able to face it, make peace with it, but whenever it came time to face a similar situation, it wasn't even tempting for you to make the same mistake. It wasn't even uh, a close to a thought because you remembered the emotions you experienced before. It produced freedom in your life to make a different kind of choice because of the regret that you felt. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Uh, like I said before, I had to raise, uh, me and my wife Rose raised teenagers while we were still raising our own babies. And I, as I look back, I experienced so many regrets that bother me. I think about things I could have done differently. I was doing my best, yes, but I still can look back and regret so much. Wish I said things differently, did things differently. But if I were to just run from those, not only would I never be able to make peace with people, reconcile things with people by apologizing, by admitting wrong, but I would be just doing the same harm again and again to my, my babies when they're older. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's only when we allow ourselves to learn from our emotional regret that we can take it and become, grow and become better. With all that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And with this topic about regrets, there's a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot that we can process and think about when it comes to regrets. And I want us to, for a moment, look back your own life and there's regrets that may be troubling you right now. Regrets that are bothering you. And I want you to just really put that at Jesus' feet. It's really, take it to God. Say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to, to tell me, to speak to me, to help me to know what to do with these regrets that I have. And maybe some of those biggest regrets that you're feeling is wedged between you and your relationship with God. You're thinking about you and Jesus. And if you're here right now, with every head bowed, eyes still closed, and you're, and you're just having a moment where you 
are wanting to reconcile things between you and God, you and Jesus, and you're ready to make that kind of decision today, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. With that being said, I see your hands. Thank you. With that being said, I I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. I'm not going to ask anyone to stand up, come forward, anything like that. You don't even need me to lead you through a special prayer. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is who he says he is. Surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to God, you can be made right with him. It's literally how every relationship that has been wrong is able to be made right. Being genuine and talking. That's all you have to do with God. And right there to yourself, have your own conversation. Start talking to Him. Say whatever you need to say. And have a moment with your Creator. A moment with your Savior. And whenever... Uh, you, you get out what you have to say you can just tell God I really want to walk with you from this day forward I want there to be a real change in my heart Jesus I really want to trust you I want you to be my savior I want you to be my Lord and I want to know what a real relationship with you looks like as you're having that conversation If you're here, if anyone else is here, and you feel like God is just ministering to you about this idea of regrets, and maybe there's people in your life that have not been in your life for a long time now, and there are people that are just coming to your mind, and you know that God is speaking to you about regrets between one another, and you just want... You just really want God to work in that, to work in your life, to work in them, whatever it is. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. So God, right now, I pray for your Holy Spirit to soften all of our hearts. I pray for your Holy Spirit to help us make peace with these regrets with these people. Lord, these people right now are, are telling you that they want to make peace with it. They're offering themselves up and saying, God, I want you to make peace with this in my heart. I'm facing it right now. I'm not running from it. I want to bring it to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak to each person individually and uniquely. Lead them to do, say, whatever it is they need to do to, to really face these regrets, to face these people, whatever it is, and that you help lead them and minister to them right now. Even as I am praying this, God, I pray for your peace to wash over them, starting from their head, dripping down their shoulders, all the way to their toes, that they would feel a newness in you, a peace in you, and that your presence would cover them and not leave them. And I pray that you reconcile things. I pray that you redeem things. And I pray that you make things new right now in this moment. You are more than enough, Jesus. And we just surrender all this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. With that being said, in the same attitude, 
and reverence. We're going to go into a time of worship, but before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you so much. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.